more than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, and thank you so much for joining us today. So, We've been, there seems to be a lot of talk and a lot of discussion these days about prejudice and intolerance. So it's not that these discussions are new because they're not new. They just seem to me, and this is a personal opinion, they just seem to be just a lot more intense than they were before. So whether it's the media or whether it's the conversation with our families around our kitchen tables, we seem to be examining people's rights and violations of these rights based on their race, based on their gender or their gender preference, or their immigration and citizenship status. I mean, there are families that say, oh my gosh, these conversations are getting so intense, I've just decided I can't talk about this anymore uh, with my adult children. Things People feel so strongly about these issues. However, what people don't seem to be discussing and what they don't seem to be feeling very strongly about is how people in our country and in our society feel towards people who are aging. So it really doesn't matter what you call people who are getting older. You can call them old people, you know, in Florida, you know, where I go back and forth from, you know, older drivers are referred to as Q-tips, not quite a nice term, but that's what they're called. So we're going to talk about that today. And just in case you think, Dr. Merrill, I'm just too young for this show. What are you kidding me? You know, you know, I'm just way too young. I just want you to remember that if life is good to you, one day you too will be an aged person. And if this prejudice still exists, then you're going to be a direct recipient of this intolerance. Or you're going through it now because you're a millennial who's aging and you're getting all this negative feedback. Aging impacts all of us. So with us today is Ashton Applewhite, and she's going to discuss her book, This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism, and it is a great book. Ashton's written for Harper's and Playboy. She was included in Salt Magazine's list of the world's 100 inspiring women in 2015. She is an activist and she is the voice of Yo! Is This Ageist? We are so happy to have you with us today, Ashton. Great to be here. So you've stated that you want to reframe the way that American culture sees age and aging. So, you know, the the prejudice would be that what got you started on this path was that you're aging. Is is that so? <laughs> uh, I well, I we are all aging. Every single person from the minute we grow up, of course, from the minute we're born. So I think, you know, one of the most basic misconceptions is that aging is just something unpleasant that bushwhacks us somewhere north of middle age, when in fact it is a lifelong process. Aging is living, just like living is aging. And, you know, and dying is just what happens at the end of all that living. 
So no. what got you started on this? Well, hindsight being 2020, uh, I realized that I started writing about it because I was afraid of getting old. I am kind of a bull by the horns sort of person, so I was trying to figure out a way to think about it, and a chance comment of my mother-in-law's is what got me started. She and her husband, Bill, were uh, in their 80s at the time, and they were booksellers, and she said, why don't you write about something people ask us all the time? So when are you going to retire? So I knew a lot of people, you know, that retirement was a topic on a lot of people's minds, and it was also, it was sort of upbeat. I could talk about older people in the workforce over the age of 80, and uh, which, you know, meant they were still productive and still in the world in a meaningful way, and I didn't have to go near anything too um, too scary. So I started a project called so when are you gonna com, and learning about longevity and interviewing people over 80 who work. And in about 30 seconds um, of basic, basic research, I learned that almost everything I thought I knew about aging was way off base or flat out wrong. Just a couple of short examples. Um, I assumed that, well, I knew old people were depressed because obviously it was awful to be old and you must be afraid of, of dying. Um, if you Google U-curve of happiness, People are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. It's called the U-curve of happiness. It's been borne out by dozens of studies in the U.S. and around the world. When I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I thought they must have cornered two 80-year-olds and given them a cookie. And then I thought, oh, well, it must be okay if you're rich or okay if you're healthy. It obtains across nationalities, across class, across marital status. Um, another fact that, I mean, I also had just assumed that as, you know, the statue of the Grim Reaper stretched, you know, closer and closer, you must wake up more fearful of dying. And it turns out that the longer people live, the less we fear dying. We don't want to die, and we especially don't want to die in pain. But the awareness that time is short actually helps people live more in the moment and appreciate the here and now. And that's, of course, the way children live, because they haven't lived long enough to learn any other way to be in the world, and that's what older, older people do, north, north of 80, and that is what makes us happy. And I could go, I also thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty good. The percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes is 4%, and it's dropping. Rates of Alzheimer's are dropping, et cetera, et cetera. And I just was like, why don't we know these things? And that's really, and in, in you know, to, to, to super um, simplify, we, we live in a culture that drowns out the positive aspects of aging. And I'm not saying the scary stuff, you know, that there aren't legitimate things to worry about, but let's hear both sides of the story. We live in a culture that drowns out the positive side because if aging is a problem, we can be persuaded to buy stuff to fix it or stop it. And there's big air quotes around the fix and the stop. And if aging is medicalized like a disease, then we can be sold stuff to cure it. And Very. air quotes around the cure, too. And aging is not a problem. It is not a disease. It is a natural, powerful, lifelong process that each of us embarks on 
the day we're born, and that should unite us, not divide us. You know, I, I think that's wonderful. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, if you ask most people who are older what their age is, you know, they're not going to answer. They fumble around um, because most of the That's time it's kind of... just stigmatized. Uh, correct, right, because it is yeah. st- stigmatized. So, you know, Ashton, give us some examples of, of ageism, um, some comments or some actions that people might not r- realize or are really a prejudice or, you know, a negative ageism. Well, maybe I should just start with the, the definition of ageism um, because, you know, this is a new idea to a lot of people. We know, I sometimes say, you know, age is to ageism as race is to racism as sex is to sexism. Um, it's discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. And we are being ageist anytime we make an assumption about what a person or a group of people is capable of or listening to or thinking about on the basis of how old we think they are. And ageism affects young people too, right? Anytime you think, oh, kids are like that, or those millennials are, you know, um, self-centered or, you know, can't, they're, they're self-indulgent and want their hands held, um, or that oh, older people can't handle technology. Classic ageist um, statement is... Uh, you look great for your age. We would never say you look great for a woman or as someone famously said about um, Barack Obama before he was elected president, you know, he's, he's incredibly articulate for an African-American. You know, that's a racist thing to say. You, you look good for a woman is a sexist thing to say. You look great for your age is an ageist thing to say. The thing to say is you look great. And I do have... That's the one, one thing that I have a snappy answer for is to say, in return, you look great for your age, too. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then just let that little awkward silence sit there because then the person has to think about why what they intended as a compliment doesn't feel like a compliment. And it doesn't feel like a compliment because the culture devalues people as we age. And that's why, of course, a ton of people don't want to say how old they are. But your age, why on earth are we ashamed of getting older? Yeah, I, I will admit that that sometimes I am asked that, and I'm in my sixties, and so the and I, it's kind of like, wow, you look great. How old are you? And so my response now has been to add about fifteen years to my age, and I'll say something like, oh, I'm, I just turned eighty-one. <laughs> it's ah, great... That's smart. I, I interviewed a, a public school teacher um, who said she just tells her students she's elementary school. She says, I just say I'm 104. And the kids are like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, a good response to that one is, is why do you ask? I mean, the, the more complicated question I want to know as a writer and researcher is like, okay, I, I will happily tell you how old I am. In return for which, I want you to tell me what shifts in your mind once you have a number. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly cocktail party chit-chat. So an, an answer, a short, shorter version of that is I'm happy to tell you why do you ask. Oh, I think that's a great then, response. Right. You know, and then again, the person has to think about what, you know, age is real. 
I mean, some of my friends are too skittish to wish me happy birthday or even mention the word. And it's like, age is real. It's different from being young, being young and being old. You know, and it's not that it's a totally, it's not a, it's a totally legitimate thing to want to know about someone, but we do it out of reflex. We do it to pigeonhole and inevitably we do it to stereotype because all we are, we're all biased and we make those sort of cognitive shortcuts, right? Um, so, it, I mean, an analogous comparison would be, you know, if we leave age out of the conversation, what, what assumptions are people then unable to make? I have suggested that we leave age out of newspaper stories and reporters go nuts. They're like, no, no, no. It's part of the who, what, when, where, why. And then I, I like to point out that we used to put race in newspaper stories and we don't do it anymore. Uh, unless it happens to be relevant to the topic, um, which it rarely, very rarely is. And that way people can't make racist, biased assumptions. And I would like age stripped out of newspaper stories unless it's a story, unless it's an obituary or a story about a child prodigy, in which case it's clearly relevant. Precisely so we have to question the assumptions we make about someone's age because age not only doesn't... It, doesn't tell you that much about a person, the older we get, and this is a medical and social and and biological fact, the more different from one another we become. So the just, you know, stereotyping is always wrong, but the less accurate it could possibly be when it comes to age. If you think of a group of seven-year-olds, of course, each one is a distinct, utterly unique human being, but they are far more alike physically, cognitively, socially, than a group of 27-year-olds who are way more alike than a group of 57-year-olds, et cetera, et cetera. As we grow, we age at different rates, right? So stereotyping becomes even more ridiculous, which is why one of my many pet peeves is those marketing checklists, you know, that go 18 to 23 and then 24 to whatever. They end at 65. as though right. everyone over 65 buys the same stuff and does the same things. What's up with that? Ashton, I wish you to hold that. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk more about your thoughts about um, ageism as as actually a campaign um, that we really ought to be thinking about. And I really want to talk to you a little bit um, about the kinds of actions um, that if we had an anti-ageism ageism campaign um, that we would have and maybe a few slogans so stay with us your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is 
requires less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Ashton Applewhite, who is the author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Um, And we were having a great conversation uh, when we had to break. Um, And we were about to talk, Ashton, um, about, you know, important movements, um, such as the women's movement, um, which was critical and made major changes in the way that we uh, view women and interact with women. So how do you see the, um, the movement against ageism happening? Well, I think there's no doubt in my mind that it is happening because of the response to my work, because of stuff like Allure magazine last month banning the term anti-aging from its pages, because we know, for better or worse, that society is becoming more diverse And when I ask people to name their criteria for diversity, they think of race and gender and, you know, sexual orientation, maybe disability. Age isn't usually on the list, but when I say, how about age? No one says that's a dumb idea, right? It's immediately obvious that if we want to live in a society where how you look does not determine access to opportunity, that gray hair and wrinkles count. I think 60 years ago when you said, you know, a woman could run a Fortune 500 company as well as a man, that was a big ask. But I think in 2017, when you say age should be a criterion for diversity, that's not a big ask. People go, obviously, you're right. Um, you agree? Yeah, I agree. And and my question, though, is, you know, if you... If you if you made, if anyone made a racial comment, or in this day and age, going back to what you're saying about women, if someone made a sexist comment, um, or even conversation about LGBT issues or transgender issues, people would be irate. They would just be irate. They'd be beside themselves with, oh my gosh, how could you say such a thing? That's terrible. But if you say something, you know, against a person who's older, you make an ageist comment, you know, it's like nothing. People laugh and they don't even think about it. I mean, why do you think ageism gets a pass in this in, in our society? I think it gets a pass because we're just now starting to think about it. I think that momentum is going to be more rapid, precisely, paradoxically, because of what you just said. The, the blog that you mentioned, Yo, Is This Aegis? It's a question and answer blog where people can send in a, a snapshot, a road sign, a, you know, something, right, something they overheard, something they themselves perhaps said. 
and asked me whether it's ageist. And the easiest um, litmus test, the most simple one, is if you heard a similar comment based on race or sex, would you give it a pass? And the answer, surprise, surprise, is almost always no. And we have learned that those things are not okay. You know, age is just now bleeping onto the radar, and that is why um, we give them a pass. But I do think it's, I not only think it's going to change, I think it's already changing. Um, it's being precipitated by the baby boom. I mean, I just, I'm a 1952 baby, so I just hit 65 and got on Medicare, just put that Medicare card in my wallet. Um, so, and, and that is, it's, it's sort of a paradox. It's double-edged. We boomers are the healthiest, best educated generation in history. We know we are aging differently than our grandparents did and even than our parents did which is great, so we're challenging those stereotypes of the befuddled and incompetent. On the other hand, there's a lot of age denial. We're doing it differently. Aging is never going to catch up with me. And that is a delusion. And it is where ageism takes root, in denial of the fact that we are aging, that we're going to get old, that we might even be old. And as long as we're caught up in that, um, we can't make progress because you're you're too busy pretending that something that is happening isn't happening, right? Yeah, I, I think though that that ageism comes out sometimes in ways that people don't even realize. You know, it's like I was with a group group of friends and we were talking about, oh my gosh, you know, we were sitting in a restaurant. I, I said, if this waitress comes up and calls me sweetie one more time, I swear I'm going to slap her. Um, not that I'm an aggressive that- person, but but I couldn't take it anymore. And I and and the way she was saying it, you know, it was like, oh, I'm waiting on these four little older women. You know, there's so cute. Come out with oh, it. that's the other. That's the other. Oh God, yep, I hate that. Yep, yep. And that's the other term. No, you know, there's they're so I, I, cute. I, I, there was a great article about it called the Sweetie Boat. Since when do we get put in? Why why do we get put in the Sweetie Honey Deary Boat? And she made an interesting comparison that being called Deary as an older woman is like being called Honey as a younger woman. Right? They're both ways to minimize our power and our individuality. And and men, by the way, get the elder speak too. I don't mean to reduce it. That is, it is. It's called elder speak. It is damaging physically and cognitively. Older people with severe dementia, when are when they are talked down to that way, you can see their their function diminish further. Um, you know, Let's so talk. yes, it is everywhere. And, and again, with a slight paradox, the very most important, crucial first step to becoming aware of ageism is to look inside ourselves, because all social change starts inside each of us. And instead of looking for reasons that we're not ageist, which is human, you know, you don't, it's uncomfortable to acknowledge internalized bias, but is to look for evidence that we are ageist instead of evidence that we're not, right? Because we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. And to think, how, how do you think about your own aging? When you look in the mirror, do you go, you know, what the hell happened? And where does that message come from? You know, it comes from a culture that tells us that old is ugly and you better buy some expensive stuff right now or have cosmetic surgery right now so that you don't go downhill any faster, for example. How do you use the words old and young? You know, I hear people say, I don't feel old. 
all, all the time. What they really mean is, I don't feel depressed, I don't feel invisible, I don't feel incompetent. The fact is, we can feel those ways at any age. I felt more invisible than any point in my life when I was 13, right? I, I did a TED Talk, and um, there's a line in there, um, you know, or do we blame things on age when they are, in fact, uh, aches and pains on age when, in fact, they're because you helped a friend move or you spent, you know, three hours cooking dinner for 20 people? I say I stopped blaming my sore knee on being 65 because my other knee doesn't hurt and it's just as old. <laughs> so, I love it. Right? First step right. is to think about how we ourselves think about oldness and youngness. Likewise, I, I feel young. Well, that probably means you feel sexy or you feel energetic or you feel in the world. And again, we can feel all those things or their opposite at any age. Right. I, I see that um, often in, in my Sarah care, uh, in my adult daycare centers where someone will come in and say, uh, I don't know that I belong here because there's just old people here. They're 83. Right. I mean, you see older people shunning walkers in wheelchairs because mm-hmm. the stigma is so great even when the alternative means never leaving home. Think about that. That's why we need to break the stigma. And not wanting to go to the senior center because of all the old people there. And that, of course, deprives us of, of much-needed society. Well, you know, the, the biggest obstacle to a good old age is not how healthy you are or how wealthy you are. It is whether you have a robust social network. So we've been talking a lot, it's true, about women, and, and we only have a few minutes before the next break, but, but let's talk just for a moment about men. And, and how do you think mm-hmm. men experience ageism? I think men typically the, the, the experience ageism for the first time uh, in the workplace. Um, and for many white men, it is the first form of discrimination they experience which makes it a little hard not to say welcome to our world. Um, And I am hoping that some of those men become radicalized if they are motivated and and brave enough to look, again, at their own bias and say, whoa, it's not a meritocracy out there. There is a double standard that up to a point that aging enhances men. Think of the silver fox newscaster and devalues women. Uh, And, of course, because of this perception that women become devalued sooner, men um, continue to sort of be seen as socially viable at at later, that's a terrible term, I I don't want to use that, but have more options socially and in the workplace. I mean, a gray-haired guy has an easier time getting a date and getting a job than a gray-haired woman, to generalize. But when it does sooner or later, as we devalue people according to age, it does affect men who are at a disadvantage in the broadest sense because they tend to have less strong social networks than women. And it is really, really devastating to confront the fact that you are being discriminated against because of something about yourself you cannot change, just as people of color have known since the moment they were born. I hate to take a break, but we have to take one. When we come back, um, I want to 
uh, ask Ashton, I want to talk about um, when these attitudes really start. And I want to talk about children's attitudes towards people who are aging. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm here with Ashton Applewhite, and we're talking about ageism, um, ageism as a movement, ageism as a subject of prejudice and intolerance. And on the break, Ashton uh, brought up a very, very interesting point that I really would like her to expand upon about how attitudes and ageism specifically really can impact um, our health and can impact the functioning of our of our mind and of our body. So, Ashton, can you I- expand upon that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, we, we think of, of, of course, we've learned a tremendous amount um, in probably in the last half of the 20th century about the mind-body connection. Um, and researchers ha- are just, there's more and more research coming in about the very concrete links between attitudes towards aging and how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. 
people with more positive feelings towards aging walk faster, do better on memory tests. They do better, uh, have better handwriting, which is a very um, good diagnostic tool. Um, and they live longer, a lot longer. And it seems obvious to me that they live better because they are less trapped by this idea, by fears, unnecessary fears about aging and by stereotypes. So to me, this is a really powerful argument for an anti-ageism campaign as a um, public health initiative. Whether you love old people or hate old people, we don't want them to be sick, right? We don't want them to cost money. We want them to have as good a quality of life as possible. So to educate people about ageism would be a giant public good. I want to make it clear that there are real things to be concerned about when it comes to aging. We are all worried about some aspect of it, running out of money, getting sick, ending up alone. And those fears are legitimate and real. But I want to make it clear that there is another side of the story that that doesn't get told yet. And also that the way we age is framed to a tremendous degree by the society in which we grow old. And when it bombards us with negative messages about aging, that affects us typically unconsciously to begin with. It becomes part of our identity. And then as we get older, we tend to act as though age-related stereotypes, usually negative, are relevant. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. A really fascinating study, my favorite, was they took two groups of college kids they showed one of them the same, they showed the same stuff on a computer screen, but on one they flashed very fast, so, so fast that you didn't see it consciously, negative words about aging. Uh, Florida and bingo, I remember, were two of them. And then they measured the amount of time that it took the two groups to walk to the elevator. And the group of college kids who had received these negative subliminal messages walked more slowly. So imagine the effect of a lifetime of those messages on people who are themselves getting, you know, past, you know, into their later years, even though there is no medical or physical reason they should walk slower. You know, I think what also happens, and and I and I see this frequently, is that you, people feel uncomfortable uh, around someone who they've known for a long time who is aging. I mean, they may suddenly be using a cane or they may be using a walker. They may be a little bit confused, but actually they're still functioning and they're doing fine and they would get out there. But because they feel uncomfortable um, around those things, suddenly they begin to, without realizing and isolating friends they've had for a long, long time. Um, they suddenly don't want to see them anymore or invite them so much anymore um, because they feel uncomfortable around them. And, and it's, it's really a shame, and people end up getting very isolated. You know, you were talking about that research with the college students, Ashton. and I've done a lot of work in intergenerational relationships, um, real relationships between Which seniors. Which is fantastically and, important. Thank God you yeah. do it. Keep it up. Thank you. And so what happened is in the early research, um, they asked preschool children, you know, to describe older people. And it was very, very negative. It was they're wrinkled, they smell bad, they walk funny. And it was just one negative after another. Mm-hmm. They then involved the children in true intergenerational programs, meaning that they didn't just show up at Christmas and sing a carol and then they left. We're talking about programs where they really formed relationships. Um, 
um, with these seniors, and then they retested them using the same test. And now their descriptions of these older people were extremely positive. You know, oh, they're wonderful. They're they they're so loving. They're beautiful. It was amazing. Uh, but before that, these many of these children had a definite prejudice towards people who were aging. You know, attitudes towards age and race and gender form very young in early childhood. Humans are tribal, and we are, being around people who are different from us can make us uncomfortable. And we do have to work consciously to overcome that bias. The good news is, as you just told us, it is very much overcomable when you are with people who are different, who, who look different, or, you know, even something as simple as, you know, root for a different sports team, you discover, yes, we're all different, but also, you know, we're all human beings, we have stuff in common, and we can bond with them. I mean, if you look at ads on TV, if you even look at children's books, the typical children's book portrays, you know, older women as uh, placid grannies or evil witches and crones. The grandpas tend to be, you know, sort of, again, sort of smiling, placid grandpas or crotchety um, Grandpa Simpson types. There are very few um, kids' books that depict olders in all our diversity. So, uh, but what, what you also find, of course, is that people who grew up in a household with their grandparents tend not to be ageist. People who grew up around people with a disability tend not to be so scared of that walker and that wheelchair. You know, disability is frightening. We act as though people with disabilities never grow old and older people never become disabled. And then when we're confronted with the reality, which is, of course, very different, we, um, we don't want to see it. But a common misconception is that ageism is rooted in fear of dying, fear of mortality, that's not the case, as I already discussed. You know, the reason millions of buff baby boomers can't even get someone to look at their resume is not because they have one foot in the grave. They aren't, this is not about dying. Dying is decades down the road. It is because they face institutionalized discrimination. And we really need a broad-based social movement to counter these forces where they begin and to change attitudes at a mass level, just the same way the women's movement changed attitudes about what women could do and be in the world. So, Ashton, kind of paint this picture for me. What what would this movement look like? What would it be doing? What kind of slogans would it have? Uh, I have I have all kinds of great slogans. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, give us one I or mean, two. The fundamental slogan, you know, every movement, and for a movement to have have weight, it has to embrace the thing that is stigmatized. Right. Whether it is, um, you know, having a, 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 a non-white skin color or sleeping with someone, loving someone of the same sex or whatever. And in this case, we have to turn from age denial to, at minimum, accepting the idea that we are aging and ideally all the way to embracing it, which is why my favorite slogan is age pride. Right. We have to be, you know, I mean. Uh, obviously, if we're not aging, we're dead. There's that as a very, very low bottom line because what that's saying really means is the only thing worse than being old is being dead. Uh, the most important tool is the one that catalyzed the women's movement, which is consciousness raising. 
when women came together and compared notes and realized that what they had been thinking of as personal problems, that they couldn't, you know, couldn't get equal pay or were being patronized or couldn't get into the workplace, were not personal problems. They were widely shared political problems that required collective action. And on my website, which is thischairrocks.com, if you go to resources, I have a free downloadable booklet on how to start a group, a consciousness-raising group called Who Me? Ageist, because that first look is, again, to look at it has all sorts of questions and suggestions for looking at your own attitudes towards your own age and aging as the critical starting point for then when you encounter the waitress who says, you know, dearie, or um, my, my least favorite young lady, to just say straight-facedly and not letting them off the hook, why would you call me young lady? And when they mm-hmm. say, because you're young, you know, no, I am not young. Why would you want to draw attention to my age? And because you know, only when we take that change out in the world does it ripple outwards and change the social fabric. You go, girl, because I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I was just looking at um, a catalog of Halloween costumes with my granddaughter, all right? And suddenly I turned the page, and at the bottom of the page, there are two children dressed like old people. I mean, yeah. they have gray wigs on, and one of them has um, a walker that they're using, mm-hmm. and, and, and it so took me aback I just kind of stopped for a minute you know and my granddaughter looked at me and she's like that isn't very nice is it and I said no Lily it you know this is it it's not and she said it's kind of like they're making fun of you know old people and people that use a walker and she said grandpa uses a walker I don't I I don't think this should be in here and I said I agree with you Lily and probably we ought to write them a letter or an email that says write that letter I mean we don't like this it's where the the Venn diagram you know where where age and disability overlap they are not the same and I I have a whole believe me rant about the equation of oldness with sickness or with frailty. You know, they, they, they do overlap. Absolutely, we need to acknowledge that, and there are real challenges, but to make them equivalent is a real problem. It is, in the abstract, an absolutely wonderful idea to have children identify and make a link to their older selves. I have a whole thing about it in my book called Becoming an Old Person in Training. Right, making just an imaginative leap to your older self, however far down the road you need it to be. Because if you can do that, you will never get sucked into this hamster wheel of age denial. I'm never going to get old. It's not going to happen to me. I don't want to think about it. Because as long as you're stuck there, you can't take the first step of starting to think about it in a more rounded, integral, healthy way. Ashton, I want you to hold that. And when, when we come back, we're uh, going to talk to you about uh, an old person in training and what that means. So <laughs> we'll be back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. 
While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And I am here with Ashton Applewhite. And before this last break, Ashton, we, we were talking about, you know, how you call yourself an old person in training. You know, why do you use the, <laughs> that terminology? Well, I, I um, credit, there's a geriatrician named Joanne Lynn. And early in this project, and believe me, it took a long way for me to, a long time for me to find my way. I came across um, an interview with her in which she described herself as an old person in training. And I had no idea how important the phrase would become to me, but I was like, oh, that's what I've become. And it did become central to my thinking because ageism takes root in denial right, our, our refusal to acknowledge that we are aging. And all prejudice is based in what sociologists call othering, making those members of another tribe, another nationality, another political party other than yourself. And then their well-being becomes less of a human right. The bizarre thing about ageism is that that other is our own future older self. We refuse to think about it ever happening. So it becomes this, you know, abstract, scary thing. If you become an old person in training, it is an imaginative connection. It's just like a a trick of the mind to acknowledge, someday I'm going to get old. And as I said, you can make it as far off, it can be a speck on the horizon, but as long as you acknowledge that it's going to happen, as it certainly is, um, but but acknowledge and, and embrace it rather than, not wanting to think about it, you are already way ahead of the game. It's also a tactical move because then when you see older people, instead of going, I'm never going to be like that, if you see someone doing something or behaving in a way that you like, you can kind of file that away. Or likewise, um, you know, if, 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 if you see someone, um, you know, turning away from someone because they're using a walker or an older person avoiding older people because they never became an old, have yet to become an old person in training, you go, huh, that doesn't seem like such a recipe for a good old age myself. So it's also a tactical move, and it makes an empathic connection to your older self and to the older people around you. It makes it easier to um, connect with 
for people of all ages. Having it's wonderful that you're doing intergenerational work. Ageism affects young people too. We need to forge a society that recognizes that old and young are different, but doesn't organize them into a system of inequity. And in order to do that, we need friends of all ages. American society is terribly age-segregated, but almost everyone, you know, we all have things we like to do, whether it's hiking or reading or, you know, um, knitting. And it's, it, you know, look around. You can't just go up to an older, younger person and say, hi, you're a different age, so I want to be your friend. But you can <laughs> find um, a mixed-age group to do it in. And if there's something you want to do, that you're worried that if you go do it, eat in a restaurant, go to a concert, you'll be the oldest people there or the youngest. Try to resist the impulse to stay home just because you'll stick out. It's just like any other form of integration. Um, we need we we need to age integrate the world just like we need to racially integrate it because that's how we that's how we change the world. You know, we're about to, um, we're in the midst of planning a family trip, and uh, I was talking to someone about it, and I was saying that regardless of where you're going, uh, in Europe or wherever you're going, there are organizations called Access Spain, Access England, Access Italy, wherever, and these are tours that are specifically designed for people with mobility problems, or they may be in wheelchairs, um, and so I was looking at it because, as I said, my husband uses a walker, and so access becomes an issue, and I, w- I always want yeah. him to be comfortable. And and she said to me, oh, well, that's really good that, you know, they have these tours um, for the old people. And I said, are you aware, all right, that we have people, unfortunately, who are in their 20s and 30s and their 40s, especially vets who are returning, um, who have been hurt, yeah. Um it's that are really, in wheelchairs. We're saying people with disabilities come in all ages. Right. So you know you're absolutely you're absolutely right about this. Ashton, you have an, another phrase you discuss in your book that you that you talk about how you dislike it, and that's the phrase is successful aging. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's, yeah, um, it's a phrase that became very popular in the sort of um, late. Um, late last century, and um, it became a very popular model in gerontology, the idea that if we um, stay healthy, eat enough kale, um, do enough sit-ups, save money, we can age successfully. My problem with that, and of course we should all do whatever we can to stay as healthy as possible, but we don't talk about, um, you know, being a successful teenager or being a successful middle-aged person. So why on earth do we set age up as something to succeed or fail at? If you wake up in the morning, you're aging successfully. And this model has a tremendous class bias into built into it because a lot of these strategies like uh, vacations, you know, taking um, really good health care, um, leisure time, uh, sushi, personal trainers, living in a nice neighborhood, those are not available to everyone. And so the less economically well-off are at an inherent disadvantage. And also it puts the responsibility for how we age 
on the individual and kind of lets society off the hook. We age in community, we age in society, and, you know, and, and so to, to, to say it is, it is your job to take care of yourself so that you age well, I think is, um, it's, it's really deeply problematic. Ashton, I I really hate to do this because um, I've really enjoyed speaking to you, but um, we're nearing the end. So, can you give us your contact information? Um, sure. I'm I'm the only Ashton Applewhite in the world, so I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> my blog my blog is thischairrocks.com, and there's a blog there um, where all my research is available. If you want to look anything up, it's searchable. That's all. It also links to Yo Is This Ageist, which is a separate blog um, where you can send in questions, photographs, whatever, and I'll answer them. There's a resources link that has my favorite books on the subject, um, articles, um, the consciousness raising guide that I mentioned called Who Me Ageist. I have a very active This Chair Rocks Facebook page. Uh, and I am at This Chair Rocks on Twitter, where I'm pretty active too. So I, I will say, once again, Ashton's book is called This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. Um, and as you know, um, my listeners, you know, when I really, really like a book, I will tell you. Um, and when I think a book is just okay, I just tell you the title, and I don't tell you anything else. So I will tell you, I think this is a very, very important book um, that you that all of us really need to read. To read. This whole issue of ageism is a critical issue that impacts everyone at every age throughout the society. And I think Ashton does an unbelievable job of presenting the case for ageism and the need to stop it and to see it as a prejudice. Um, as And she states it very, very well. It's an easy read. Um, um, we were talking offline very quickly about how it has the title of Manifesto, but it really is a very easy read, um, and I think you'll really enjoy it, and it's a very, very important work. Ashton, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Merle. It was a pleasure. It was really terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. So this is Dr. Merrill. As always, remember that I always ask you to do just one thing for yourself um, every week. It's very, very important uh, that you do so. You're a caregiver and you take care of a lot of people in your life and you mean a lot to a lot of people in your life. So even if you just walk outside for five minutes and take some deep breaths or you go for a walk or whatever it is that you can do for yourself, you really need to do something for yourself because you're very important and you can't forget about yourself. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.